Welcome back to another episode of Friends from Work, a podcast about all things in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, hosted by me, Robbie Earle, and by my dear longtime friend from work, Kyle Sconewell. Kyle, where are you? <laughs> Ooh, a little twist on that. I see. Okay. <laughs> I love that you're asking that because one, I am here. And I am so excited to be here. That's the first thing. Secondly, I'm in Newark, New Jersey this week. I am basically in New York City. My hotel room is the eighth floor, and I am facing New York City. So that's been the best perk, is I have a view of Spider-Man's hometown day and night. And I love it so much. Yeah, it is. I'm kind of an architectural, engineering, skyline kind of guy. So yeah, it is. Oh, I like that. Man, you yeah. and Emily have so much in common. My friend Emily that I reference on here all the time. Um, she's a skyline hmm. junkie. I love you've got the the Garden State location, but the Empire State view. Look at that. It's not bad. It's not bad. I don't know where my love well, for skylines came from, but anyways. Uh, I love that about you. Where are you? Um, I <laughs> am here in Austin, uh, physically, oh, wow. um, spiritually, emotionally, uh, in Egypt. A variety of places. <laughs> um, in part because we've got a lot to cover just on the Moon Knight side of things today because what an episode. But two, we had a lot of a little Marvel or Marvel adjacent things drop uh, here in the past week. So I was just going to rattle a couple of these off. We have not even gotten to talk a ton. I've Please been help. like morbidly busy. Uh, the past week, so we haven't even, I don't think, talked on the phone really since the last time we recorded a podcast, which is abysmal. Well, and believe it or not, me too. Like, I'm now in my busy season as well, which is a terrible time for both of us to be busy because Marvel is also busy. We need to eventually quit our jobs so we're not busy. I know. Or like Marvel, if you want to go back to that Friday night viewing <laughs> That's time. That's so true. That would be nice. Um, in fairness, it was still Friday at like 2 a.m., but I treated it as Friday night. Um, anyway, That's anyway, so no time, no time. Uh, no time, but she did. <laughs> but no time, but she did. So, couple Crime things Crime and happened. Squad, F and C, Threat Level Midnight. <laughs> <laughs> couple things happened uh, since we were last here. Uh, Venom released, and Man, no, no. oh man, is it getting bad reviews? Hold on, hold on. I love that you just said that because you, I'm not going to make you redo it, but you said Venom release. I think you meant Morbius, but I love oh, that you're, you're right. lumping those two together, right. which is so you're perfect right. That's because so that just tells you how important it is to us in this podcast. You're right. Oh man, you're right. Our Morbius. manager Pete is rolling over in his bed right now, so upset that he's oh. hearing this. Man, uh, well, I, I'll, I'll have to circle back to that later because uh, we were we were watching Moon Knight earlier and Candace made a fair uh, Venom comparison with the Conchu stuff, which I like took and recognized the validity of, but also like a part of me shriveled inside just through the fact that those projects were referenced in the same sentence. Anyway. Well, and also Candace and I still aren't talking ever since I offended her about the Green Knight, which I did That's not like. True. And now Candace oh, and I man. are. And, I, and you know what's weird is I'm going to come to Austin in a couple weeks, so we're going to have to figure this out before then. Yeah, we're going to have to Otherwise, it's going to be really awkward. <laughs> anyway, I mean, sorry. She's, she has been inconsolable 
In uh, just I've been receiving hate texts. That's the extent of it. But no, I'm just kidding. She for those, doing that. just by way of brief, brief context, in the Friends from Work Slack, we have <laughs> oh. a Beyond the MCU channel. Um, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, back in the Christmas season, I was talking about how I really enjoyed The Green Knight and had rewatched <laughs> it um, and was talking it up. Kyle finally got a well, chance to watch it a couple days ago. That's where I'll interject and say I was on an airplane and I was like, oh, the Green Knight. Isn't that the movie that Robbie liked? I can't remember. And I was about halfway through and I was like, this surely can't be the movie that he like this. I think I have the wrong one because this is the worst movie I've ever seen. And I texted you, what the living heck did I just watch? I think that's the worst movie I've ever seen. Obviously, you talked me off a ledge. It's not the worst movie I've ever seen. I've seen Suicide Squad, okay? but like, <laughs> Which was my response. <laughs> which is what you're – so thank you. You reminded me of that. Which we should say Suicide Squad, not the Suicide Squad. We're not, we're not saying – We're not savage. Those are here. different. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I was so confused. I understand some of the artness of it. It was just so boring, I thought. And I know right now <laughs> half of our audience is so mad at me for even saying that. But Candace in particular, like, took those as fighting words. And I got attacked. I got assaulted. <laughs> so that's the end of that story. We have too much. Too, no, no time. No time. <laughs> no time. Man. Um, yeah, at some point we'll have to have a, a longer discussion on A24 films and uh, Candace's hope that they'll have a Marvel crossover at some point. But well, then, hold, 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 um, hold on. That's one last critique is that I didn't know it was an A24 film and I'm not critiquing the entire studio. Okay. Like ease up on that. I was just saying this one movie. I'm not making a blanket no, no, statement no, no, no. about every movie they've ever made. Kyle said unequivocally any movie that's ever been put out by A24 <laughs> is garbage. <laughs> no, I didn't. On the record. Okay, what happened in the uh, MCU, though, besides Morbius, which I need to see still, by the way? Man, I know. I, I've, we actually haven't seen it either, although I was just telling you we have a, a movie pass to Alamo, uh, which is a fun perk of being in Austin, as always. And so I think we might try to catch it just because I am curious. I, I've refrained from watching the leaked scenes, um, which I say leaked. Uh, the director in an interview like two days before Morbius came out just told everybody what was in the scenes, <laughs> apparently at Sony's direction. So I don't what know. What are they doing I, over there? I, it is, isn't it? I think the most fascinating thing is seeing this so quickly after No Way Home because like, like we've talked about, No Way Home was technically a Sony film. And I think this is the most educating comparison to see I, a Sony film and an actual Sony film. My brief anecdote on this is I was talking to my coworkers today about art versus business and what happens when the money makers get in the way of the artists that want to do things. And I feel like that's Sony uh -huh. to a T for the most part, like the one time they had yes. success, not the one time, but one of their biggest successes when they finally just let Marvel studios run with it and just take the credit. That's fine. But just give it to the artists to do it. And it's frustrating because in a way, Robbie, I almost, this is weird. This is dark. I almost don't want you to go to the movie because if the movie does well in the box office, doesn't that kind of reinforce that what they're doing is okay and is working like, Oh no, like it's, sure. it's, it's the people that watch that movie and then just think it's from Marvel and they sum it all up by going, see, this is what all comic book movies are like. It's not very good. And it's like, right. no, that's why we have this podcast, to educate you that not all comic book movies are the same. And 
I don't want you to lump them all in the same category. But if this is successful financially, that'll happen more and more. End of rant. Let's move on. <laughs> that is one of the reasons I specify that it's like a we've we've we have a screening option that I won't have to pay for. And I don't know how all that works on the financial back end. But my <laughs> yeah, hope is true. that that doesn't reinforce some of <laughs> these creative decisions. Um, yeah, I'll probably see it. Anyway, um, second thing, another thing that happened this past week, um, it was announced that Miss Marvel, which the trailer came out a couple weeks ago, we talked about how we're both really into it. Um, that is going to be the first ever, ever uh, PG project from Marvel Studios. Yeah. My take on that real quick. I have not heard your take. By the way, I haven't heard your take on any of these things. I love that. I have no <laughs> idea what your take is. Um, my take on that is I kind of like it. I understand that there is people on our Slack channel that were disappointed. Like, oh, man, this is for kids. I'm not going to watch it. That's what I like, though, that it is different. If it's going to be a yeah. kid's show for kids, then make it for kids. Maybe it's not totally for me, but I don't have any problem with them doing all these different genres again, to be honest. That's me. I'm 100% with you. I was really excited when I saw that. If you go into Miss Marvel expecting it to be Daredevil, then you're just doing it wrong. Right. Or even wanting it to be. But that's the beauty, right? Like that that they can do the one-two punch of Moon Knight than Miss Marvel. It's like, look, if you want something a little bit darker, a little bit weirder and trippier, we you've got that in spades. And if you want to bow out and not watch Miss Marvel, that's your prerogative, you know? Like, but I think that I'm really excited on on two fronts. Like, one, I think that it just Based on the vibe that I'm getting from the trailer, which again, I totally understand why people would think like this feels like it's aimed at a different audience than me. Because frankly, I don't even know if I'm probably not the prime audience for the show, but true, I yeah. kind of I, I sort of love what they're doing. Like to your point, yeah, like a lot of the like a lot of the audience for Marvel in general probably is around that age. And I think that that's awesome that they're making a project that is not something that's being geared broadly or mostly towards older folks that like younger folks will just also enjoy. But yeah, like I, I think that that's awesome because as I was thinking about it, and this is kind of my second point there, as I was looking back on my own relationship with Marvel and kind of growing up as such a big Spider-Man fan, like it, it struck me how even subconsciously, <laughs> I think the fact that I was a white lanky guy with brown hair <laughs> allowed me <laughs> like to identify with Peter Parker very early on. Like I was made fun of in middle school. Like it was like, uh, there's this thing where it's like, I see myself in that person. And I think that like, you know, there, there are jokes made about, about representation, but like, I think one, you know, we've talked about how great Miss Marvel is in terms of like representing what it is, like to be not just like a, a teen or preteen, but like a, a Muslim um, teen or preteen, like growing up in like the the American school system where you're often a minority, but also just like, I think leaning into the age of that, you know, and like letting folks that are growing up with this stuff, like feel seen, um, especially, you know, uh, folks that can like actually really relate to, Kamala, but I think just in general, it's, it's, I think it's a, it's a cool move and I respect weirdly, I respect Marvel for doing that as much as I would respect them for making an R rated film. Like just make, 
make something that the project calls for. Like, I think if, if you finish this thing and it feels like it should be PG and aim towards a younger audience, then great. You know, don't try to adult it up to make it more widely palatable. Right. So I totally agree. I think where it's hitting people a little bit differently is when you think back to the Infinity Saga and how this all started, because there was no Disney Plus, there really weren't any projects that weren't required viewing. Like every project in the Infinity Saga was made for adults, right? You right. were pretty much the target audience the whole time. Right. Because right. they were telling one specific story. And frankly, they didn't have Disney Plus then. So I think Disney Plus is now allowing them to explore these individual genres and characters a little more fully. But I do think that's going to lead to not every show being for every audience, right? The more they diversify those genres, the more you are going to rule out some people as your target audience. That's just a fact. But I think right. that Disney Plus and the way they have the show structured, it allows it to kind of be a good thing, almost. No, I agree. And and I think what's interesting, and this kind of moves into the last thing I wanted to talk about that, that came up uh, today, actually, as we're recording this, it will be interesting to see how the movies treat the Disney Plus shows. And we've previewed this a Correct. bit with Doctor Strange. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, like, even Moon Knight, uh, right? Like, that's not, that's what I said initially, as soon as we watched this, I said, I think it's excellent. Really across the board, I still think that. But I think genre-wise, it might just not be everyone's deal. Like, I could see somebody watching, like, a jackal run across a building towards a guy in a mummy suit and just be like, nah, like, I'm not, I'm not this is not my vibe in the same way. And I think that, like, that's totally okay, but I'm curious to see like if people start picking and choosing in that way in the same way that they kind of do with comics, right? Where like you have a Marvel universe collectively, but you know, like I don't pick up every single comic that Marvel is putting out. I put I pick up the ones that I'm particularly invested in and then I often read like the big crossover events which will normally like fill you in on hey, here's this character you may not have been reading their series. Here's like a kind of quick summary of what's been going on with them. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's not kind of how the movies start start treating some of these Disney Plus shows. Hmm. And my last thing on that, for me, the rating doesn't necessarily equal quality one way or the other. I think there's this assumption that because it's PG – Again, maybe it's not for you, but that doesn't mean it's lower quality. And I think about how there are nights where it, like Annika and I have a fun time just putting on Jungle Cruise. Oh, yeah. Or Jumanji or Toy Story. And those movies, yeah, they're not maybe totally made for me, but there are nights where I think that's fun. And that's how I'm going to view Miss Marvel. Like, it, I might not be the target audience, but I still find joy and fun out of those kinds of stories, too, for some reason. So, I think it can work in a wide variety of ways. I mean, I think you look at the the vast number of PG-rated Pixar films, and I think that that sort of puts to bed the idea that there would be any quality disparity. It, it just comes down to how well do they tell the story. Again, that's exactly. what it always comes back to. Well, and But that wasn't the only thing that came out this week. Exactly. Yeah, the, <laughs> the reason I yeah. made my Disney Plus comment there, um, what, and we haven't really right. gotten to talk about this either, is... Right. We saw a TV spot come out today, or kind of a TV spot slash trailer. It was like a minute long, but well, for the first, and it kind of answers your question. <laughs> yeah, for the first time, we saw 
Tommy and Billy from WandaVision showing up in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, which... Which, by the way, what a what a TV spot. How they start with oh the same gosh. nightmare dialogue that Doctor yes. Strange has been doing, but switching it to Wanda this time, saying the same thing. Yeah. That, and like how the voice morphs, kind of. <laughs> that was uh-huh. awesome. But yeah, we see it. It was kids. such an epic spot. Either way, right. I'm so I mean, pumped I got my tickets for opening night at seven o'clock. And by the way, I, love I plan on seeing it at a pre-screener, so that will be viewing number two for your boy. I I almost snagged extra tickets today in addition to the pre-screener, and then I realized that Candace will be in Europe whenever the movie drops. So I one that so which it might gives have me, to be you and me. It's, <laughs> it's might have to be you and me. We'll just have to double dip. Um, but uh, yeah, if it or or I'll see it. Whatever. I end up seeing all of these movies like four times now. Anyway, Marvel take <laughs> all true. of my money. Um, uh, <laughs> here I am. They are. I'm, I'm giving them money. I feel like we're also just constantly telling people to give Marvel more money. So I actually <laughs> like to think that we, we as an entity and individually have probably, you know, contributed a fair amount uh, to Marvel's revenue over the past several years. Any, any money we've made from this podcast has just in turn gone back to Marvel almost <laughs> right. exclusively, basically. So it's kind of like a never ending cycle for them. But man, I am, I am really like, I, I loved that little flash. I loved how brief it was. Someone pointed out in our Slack that they're watching a black and white show on a TV. Whenever we see that glimpse of Tommy and Billy, which is a great little WandaVision callback. It's just like, we also have to point out some what if call outs, honestly, dude. Oh yeah. That crazy monster thing, the evil strange thing, a lot of zombie shots, the zombie stuff. Yeah. And this last one, especially. Man, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm so I'm so curious, and I think this movie, man, this movie is going to be fascinating for a lot of reasons. Also, I don't know if we covered last time that the runtime had been announced, and that it's like just it's going to be just over two hours, which is actually kind of short for a Marvel movie these days. And so that's and been a, the subject of chatter. <laughs> I was going to say, what a world to be alive that a movie comes out that's two hours and six minutes long, and that's a huge controversial topic now. Like, right. oh, how are they going to tell the story in that amount of time? We haven't even seen a single second of it, but <laughs> we're nervous that it's not going to do enough. Oh, yeah, but there's already a contention <laughs> on the internet that's like, you know what? I'm done. I can't even. I'm not even going to watch it. <laughs> if this wasn't two hours and 46 minutes, what are we even doing here? <laughs> <laughs> What's even by the, the way, point? And by the way, back in the day, an hour 55 was very normal. In these kind of films. Right. It is. Uh, it's funny. I do think that this one's going to be, get, you know, given that, like, uh, there is a lot that it's going to be addressing. Like, there's the WandaVision of it all. There's, like, we've talked about the fact that Michael Waldron, who wrote Loki, is currently credited as the sole writer, uh, which is kind of crazy for a Marvel movie. Like, normally you see a team of some sort. Um, and so... I think that there's going to be some kind of Loki tie-in. Uh, and then, like you're saying, what if? Like, I think that we we could have a really interesting case study on how these movies are going to treat the Disney Plus shows. Like, are they going to be an avenue to kind of point people back towards those that missed them? Are they going to kind of assume you've seen them? Are they going to make some kind of, like, brief call-out so that everyone's on the same page? I think we can ask the same question about the Marvels. Um, in terms of how it'll treat WandaVision and Miss Marvel. Um, so, yeah, I, I think 
this one was just a really interesting first glimpse of, okay, like here is some carryover for sure, concretely from WandaVision to this new Doctor Strange film. So exciting. Before we jump into Moon Knight, we missed announcing a giveaway winner from last week. We told the person and we sent them the giveaway, but we should probably say we did choose a winner to our giveaway from a couple weeks ago. We did. And that winner of our Hawkeye Thanos was right mug from Epic Hero Shop Mm. um, was Amy Photo. Congrats. Yes, congrats, Amy, uh, taking part in our final rewatch of the hashtag FFW saga so far rewatch. Um, Thank you all again, everyone that took part in that. That was a ton of fun. And I think it's been a, it was a really nice way to kind of get everybody in the red headspace for Moon Knight. Absolutely. And speaking of Epic Hero Shop, let me tell you about our friends over there. Ooh. Our friends at Epic Hero Shop just dropped their entire Moon Knight custom collection. Head over to EpicHeroShop.com to stock up before they sell out. Epic Hero Shop celebrates all corners of nerd culture with their MCU culture-inspired custom t-shirts, sweats, neckties, socks, hats, accessories, etc. Our listeners have probably seen me wearing my dope white Moon Knight hoodie in our Instagram videos and our TikTok videos, but I just got notification that my new TVA Loki-themed shirt has arrived at my house, and it's waiting for me when I get home. I cannot wait to try it on. All of their merch has really creative, unique, and custom designs. And the clothing itself has a premium fit, and it's very comfortable. So go to EpicHeroShop.com and get your Moon Knight-inspired merch. And if you use the promo code FRIENDSFROMWORK, all one word, FRIENDSFROMWORK, you can save 15% off any of their merchandise other than their latest obsession line. Again, head to EpicHeroShop.com, use the promo code FRIENDSFROMWORK to save 15% off all of this wonderful nerd merch. All right, so thank you to all of you who are listening. Please, please, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We would greatly appreciate it. But Robbie, let's dive into Moon Knight, Episode 2. Okay, so this episode is entitled Summon the Suit, which which I love, by the way. <laughs> I love too, man. Um, this one was written by Michael Castelline, I think, Castelline. Um, I think that I heard this is the same. I actually think I recall this. Um, the writer of the second episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier as well, which was the one that opens hmm. with John Walker. Um, someone can fact check me on that, but I think that that's correct. This one was directed by Aaron. That was a great, that was a great opening, by the way. It was. It uh, was. Sorry. Keep going. <laughs> directed by Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson, who will be back to direct episode four. Just, I, I don't know if we've said this explicitly. This is sort of like the Hawkeye situation. Um, the first 
chunk of Disney Plus shows all had the same director, but a rotating group of writers. Since Hawkeye, we've actually had kind of a split director team as well, which is kind of fun. Um, our first episode, like we said last time, was directed by Mohamed Diab. He will wind up directing the bulk of the episodes, but episode two and four are directed by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. The only real change here beyond that that I think we need to point out um, is the you know very notable introduction of Layla, played by May mm. Kalamawi, um, which mm. I've been so excited for because I really, really enjoyed her contribution to the press conference, which we'll talk about here a bit more as we go. But that is, that's our cast and crew here. Um, like I said, I, I've kind of liked that this has stayed relatively focused. That's really the only new addition other than the introduction of one Mr. Knight that we will talk about shortly. Mm. Uh, but otherwise, there you go. That's Moon Knight episode two. Let me just get my review out of the way, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, when we watched this as a pre-screener, for some reason, I was kind of thinking episode one and episode four were the absolute slam dunks and two and three were a slight dip. And that's just not fair at all. I watched this today actually a couple of times. I really, really liked it. I liked it more than I thought. I would say it doesn't dip at all for me from episode one. In fact, maybe it's even better at spots for me. I read a couple people that felt like it did dip, and I just don't think I agree with that. Um, a couple people mentioned a few CGI concerns, which I can see maybe slightly what they're talking about in that jackal chase, but not nearly to the degree of the first episode. And the first episode already wasn't atrocious. So to me... This CGI is to the point where I have no concerns with it. It's that yeah. close to being good enough. Um, I really love how different Oscar is portraying both Mark and Steven. And mm -hmm. I know there was some pushback on Steven being so goofy. And I just never felt that. I think Steven is goofy, but he's also freaked out. And I think he's right. portraying that well. I think it fits very naturally with how Steven would be acting in these situations. I thought the jokes, again, were never too overt. I thought they worked and didn't hit me over the head with them. They were subtle. It's never right. like, I never felt like they stopped and said, hey, you have to joke here. It, I know some people said that from the Marvel thing again. I don't agree with that either. I just think I was watching a slightly different show than some people online. I really, really enjoyed it. This would be another let's go for me or a let's go plus. Like this is like a B plus, A minus type episode for me. I thought the action mm -hmm. stuff, the suit up scene was so cool. And we'll get into a little bit more of that in detail. But I just wanted to say from a review perspective, I had a blast watching this. Yeah, I I agree. And I'll I'll touch on that a little bit more when we're giving our grades there at the end. Um but man, I enjoyed the heck out of this one. And I I'm I, the the best way for me to probably do my review is going to be just going through the episode cuz I got the chance to actually take some notes uh which kind of varied between commentary and and review. But yeah, I I'm with you. I kind of had a similar experience but also, like, yeah, I just loved getting some Mark Spector here. So there's a lot to love. 
And for the people that are panicking about not getting enough Mark Spector and that Stephen Grant is the main character, while that has been true thus far, having already seen two more episodes, just relax a little bit about it. <laughs> they are right. introducing Steven. You're going to get some Mark time. And that's not a spoiler. I'm just saying don't overly freak out because two episodes had a ton of Steven. That's all. Which, by the way, I like Steven, right. so I'm not freaking out. But if you were freaking out, just right. wait a second. Well, and that's kind of the perfect introduction to the first note that I had here, um, which is I am loving still uh, the the fight club of it all here. Like sure. I, what, what I, I, it's like, I, what I realized like coming back and watching it this way, there are so many really fun questions. Like there's the obvious, is this real? Like is Steven crazy or is this happening? But then there's like the kind of more nuanced question of like, is just some of it real? Like is, are there parts of it that are happening and parts of it that, that aren't? And where's the dividing line? And that's perfect because that was my first note too. And just that I love them watching the security camera and the reveal that, yeah, no one else can see the Jackal, which by the way, now I can say this part of the reason I brought up in last week's episode, which if you haven't heard it, go back and listen, please. Is it happening in a different dimension? Because I had, I knew at the time that right. other people weren't able to see it. So I don't know that we have an answer on that yet with what's really happening. Like you're saying the fight club of it all. Now what's interesting is spoiler for fight club here. The the twist ends up being that it's the same guy. In this case, the thing they're not able to see is the monsters he's running from. And, and I thought it was really interesting, Robbie, that even Layla doesn't see it. Right. And, and, oh, and that's the other thing, Robbie, it's not just that Steven or Mark sees it when he's in the suit. Cause even Steven right. sees it when he's not suited up, when he's not moon Knight. Right. And I, I had a question that could be solved by a, a rewatch. Um, but in that scene where Layla is seeing not, well, <laughs> seeing him suited up and not seeing the Jackal, the, the like feet cracking the glass of that car, are those coming from Moon Knight or are those coming from the Jackal? Like, is that a, like, it is impacting the world but the person in the car can't actually see the thing making the the footprints. I think it's that. Okay. But I'm sure people on Slack can help us out, which, by the way, I took an entire section of notes called Slack Sleuths just because oh, one of the advantages of recording Wednesday night is that we do have some feedback from listeners before we start recording, so I did take some notes there. But, oh, nice. But in general, like when the car smashes into them, is the car dented because it's just hitting Moon Knight? I don't think so, because right. we see that Layla is also able to splash the Jackal with something. True. So so it is True. there. It is there. It's just invisible, I guess. But, but again, I love that's that. why I'm saying, like, a couple of our listeners brought up, is it a little bit like Stranger Things in the Upside Down? Right. It's kind of like that a little bit. Yeah, where it's, it's I don't know. That's what I mean. To what extent it's real or another dimension or invisible and real, I don't know yet. Well, and there's like there's the deeper level of like, okay, so we see Layla not seeing them, but at least being able to kind of interact with them or being aware of their presence by the end. But is that all still just because we are seeing this from Steven's perspective? Like there's a world in which it's like, 
maybe this is all in his head. I mean, I know that that from like a meta perspective, we're like, well, it's Moon Knight. I mean, Moon Knight's going to be a hero that sticks around in the MCU. But, you know, even that, we don't know exactly what that looks right. like. And I think the best Moon Knight comics have always kept you on your toes because you're like, right. I don't know what I'm reading. I don't know who this guy is. And I love that. Well, and that leads me to another question, which is I'm starting to wonder how does Moon Knight interact if he doesn't have Khonshu? Can he get rid of Khonshu right. and still have these abilities? And if he if he can't, if he needs Khonshu for the abilities, that's a fascinating dynamic when Moon Knight meets Daredevil and he's having a side conversation like Venom to his right. Egyptian god that Daredevil can't see, for example. Right. So if they... Right. So either Moon Knight gets rid of Khonshu and he still has abilities, which is option one, or he doesn't get rid of him and it will be a really weird dynamic with some of the other heroes, <laughs> which could also be interesting. Uh, I don't know. No, I mean, that. I think that's what I love. And that's why I would push back against the people that take issue with the Stephen Grant focus is like, I, I mean, we've talked about this. I love Daredevil and I think that there's so much potential for the kind of grim, uh, like, protector of Hell's Kitchen vibe. But we've kind of got that set up there already, and I would rather... Like, I feel like the reason why Oscar Isaac has become so passionate about this project and was so drawn to it is, like, it's a lot more than that. Like, there are plenty of movies and shows about moody, strong guys that go out and fight <laughs> people on behalf of the innocent. Like... That's fine, and that's fun, but this is so much more interesting. Like, give me this, like, who's at the reins? Like, what's even happening? Is this, is Khonshu even real? Like, is, you know, like, there are so many questions that I think make it so unique and so fun, particularly in the context of superhero storytelling. Another thing I want to ask about that, then, is what are his powers outside of that dimension, if you will. It makes me think of the mirror dimension a lot where Dr. Strange can do stuff in the mirror dimension. That's different because to right. be fair, we have not seen Moon Knight affect a ton of the outside world yet. True. We've seen him fight these invisible creatures, but yeah. What, what are his power levels when that's not there or he's fighting a normal ground level criminal? That that's such an interesting question. And I think that like what I love about man, what I love about a lot of the the post end game stuff, as we've been reviewing it, is the focus on the like. There's such a focus on what makes the character unique these days over like what makes their power set unique. But you're right, there is like he does have kind of a unique power set too because he's drawing on this supposedly this Egyptian moon god. And we don't really know what exactly that relationship looks like. Like, could Kanchu say no? Like, you don't have access to the suit today? Like, never mind? Or is that something, you know what I mean? And by the way, an Egyptian mood god that he wants to get rid of. I think right. that's a huge development here. Is that he truly does want to be done with it. Which is interesting. Yeah. Like, Kanchu is not some all good god, it seems like. It seems like there are things that... Mark does not agree with. And so if he wants to pass it off at some point, what does that look like? What are you left with? He wants to just retire, well, he, I guess. 
Because he even, I mean, yeah, you're right. He does have some stuff that's like borderline villainous. Like when he's talking to Mark and he's like, you know, like I can leave, but you're not going to be happy with who I pick because he's kind of threatened to use Layla. That felt so jokery or something. Yeah, it's kind of evil. Yeah, it's definitely manipulative, if nothing else. Right. I mean, like, I think, I th- again, it's just, I, I love that. Like, I think that even Khonshu is going to wind up being a complex character. And that goes back to what we've talked about with Harrow here and with Steven and with Mark. Which is actually now like a side conflict that I can't wait to see how they resolve. Like, I almost, right. like, we started the show and I thought, I want to find out what happens with Steven and Arthur. Now I'm also wondering, but how does Mark resolve the Steven thing? And how does Mark resolve the Conchu thing? Right. No, I mean, I feel the exact same way. And that's why, I, like, that's why I'm just so invested in this one right now. I, I love that we're just rapid firing these questions because this is what's on my mind. Another thing I want to discuss is a, is something from our Slack sleuths. And they've been discussing this like crazy on Slack, which by the way, if you want to join, go to the fffwpodcast.com and there's a link on there to join our Slack. It's just like a forum. It's like our new social media basically for MCU stuff. And it's a really fun place to be. Um, But a lot of people are discussing who is the host, Mark or Steven. And that makes me think a lot about, I want to know more about, Mark and Steven, what happened here? Like what, like we kind of picked up in the middle of this story. And I think there's a ton, a ton of questions you could ask about what's gone down between these two and between Konshu and stuff in the past. And I'm not even sure this show is going to go fully into that. Like, for example, if Steven is the host and he's been putting Mark away, there's a lot of questions about that. Like with his mother and the way Layla only really knew Mark. Like Layla's never met Steven. So if they've never switched roles before, then can Steven really be the host or hear me out? Was Steven a personality that was birthed out of Mark's trauma? So Mark was Mark without this disorder. Maybe I'm saying, and then through all of the crazy stuff that he had to do with Khonshu and the fighting and stuff, it caused him to, create Steven and try to forget Mark. But then he says, this has been an ongoing running thing. So it doesn't seem like it's super new. Like that's what I wrote down. Like how long has this dissociative identity disorder been going on for him? Is this a matter of a month or has this been like 30 years of this? Do you understand what I'm thinking? Like this is a crazy amount of questions I have about their background. Well, one, I I was thinking about that too, and I kind of zoned in on this line where Steven's asking how long it's been going on, and Mark says, long time. So, like, I think... Right. You know, and he says neither of us would be alive if not for But Kansu. then how has Layla never met Steven? Yeah. Yeah, I mean... When, and, how so does, then, and how does Steven have, like, a job where people right. know him at the museum? Like, he's clearly been working there for a while. Well, and that's the question is like, what did Mark even mean by that? Like, did Mark mean I've been serving Kanchu for a long time? Does that mean I've been suppressing you for a long time? And that's... And why does he think that this is the last mission for him? Why does he now think that Kanchu is done after this? Because the other interesting thing there is, if that's true, and Mark is done after this last mission, 
that means Mark's gone, right? Like he's basically saying, hey, I'm going to finish out this mission. And I guess the idea is if I do this, Kanshu will leave Layla alone. So I'm kind of sacrificing myself for her. And then I'm just basically going to cease to exist. And Steven, you can have full use of the of the body and kind of be a whole person. And maybe fall in love with Layla, by the way, because it seems like they have a little bit of something. Right. Which and, makes and, sense because they're married. <laughs> right, right. But it kind of sets up for a weird tragedy in, in a way almost, because even if it resolves happily in that way, if you say goodbye to one of them, we as an audience have now grown attached to both characters, even though it's the same person. So right. like when Steven at the end gets trapped in there, you feel bad, didn't you? When he's like, oh, yeah. I don't want to be in here. I can barely move. Right. It's almost like he's being tortured, but it's the same person. It's just right. an identity disorder. So it's it's just it's trippy for us as an audience to grasp the emotional side of that too. It's but it's I think what's so interesting is the the disorder, like the dissociative identity disorder aspect is given like each identity is given credence by Kanshu. Like Kanshu to the degree that we except that that that's a real thing happening here, which I still think we should be... I think we should be calling into question everything through the show because I think it sort of invites it. But if we if we settle at a baseline of like, okay, Khonshu is a character here, then Khonshu is aware of the differing identities and like that they are See, actual like different people, which I think is really interesting. Agreed. But that's why I think my theory of Steven being born out of the trauma caused by Mark makes more sense. Not that Conchu is allowing him to switch. Just because, think, think of it this way. Mark gets taken over by Conchu as the Avatar. Just Mark. Uh-huh. And he goes on a bunch of missions for years with Layla, etc. And maybe Conchu's promising that, hey, this next one you'll be done. Just one more, then you'll be done. Just one more. He goes on forever. At some point, it gets so traumatic that in a weird moment, he creates Steven. And Conchu's like, whoa, who's this? And and yet it's so real to Mark that he doesn't even realize he's now becoming Steven. And it takes him a right. while to then figure out, like, I can switch back to Mark if I can get a hold of him via these mirrors or whatever. But that's why then he goes back to Conchu and says, look, Steven's a thing, but it's not going to be a problem. Like, trust me, it's not going to be a problem. Because remember, that's what Conchu says. Like, you said he wasn't going to be an issue. Uh-huh. So then he then says that. But as he's going back and forth, maybe now it's been a couple years of going back and forth. But Layla, her mission was done. They're getting a divorce. So she doesn't ever run into Steven. She yeah. doesn't know who he is. Steven gets a job at the museum, et cetera. But I think now that's just coming to a head. The 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 personality clash between the two of them, that's why Conchu's like, hey, you promised this wouldn't be an issue. Yeah, I I think I'm tempted to agree with you even from the comics perspective. Uh, because, you know, like we talked about this in the comics corner, and if you're listening to this, um, typically those episodes only come out on Friends from Work Plus, our Patreon feed, but we actually have our our first one available on the main feed, so you can go listen to kind of our download on the comics history. But there, you know, like we talked about, for the longest time, or at least for a couple years, Moon Knight was just, he was a guy that had kind of different personas that he would inhabit, but they were all just like, hey, this is the persona I have to kind of rub elbows with rich folks, and this is the one I have to kind of talk to criminal informants. It wasn't right. like a, he ever actually thought he was those people. And over time, 
that kind of change, but the the like retcon origin that Moon Knight wound up getting in 1980 with the beginning of his first series was a Mark Spector origin. So to your point, it was like Mark Spector, mercenary. I mean, very similar to the kind of background that we got here in the show, which I thought was really well done, was, you know, like he's involved in this like shootout massacre at a dig and wounds up basically dead and is revived by Khonshu, comes back to New York in the comics. Here it's obviously London. And then kind of develops these personalities, like I said, as personas that then eventually like there's a big debate within the comics, depending on who's writing it over whether he has DID or whether it's kind of uh, a, a result of the interaction with Khonshu. Like the the first right. run that Candace and I read and talked through, one of the things that I think is really interesting is the idea there is no, 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 you don't have DID, you have brand damage from this interaction with this god that's kind of like, you know, what's the the Hawkeye uh, phrase, like, put your mind in a blender, where it's like, you, <laughs> yeah, you, your, your psyche is fractured because you've interacted with this deity, not because you have a known disorder. And so I think any, any and all of those are on the table, but I, I do think you're right in that I think whatever happened started with Mark Spector. And I think one of the more interesting things from a storytelling perspective to me remains the fact that we started with Stephen Grant. Like what a what an inspired idea because it's hmm. we're finding these things out in bits and pieces and that's so different than the way that the character was unveiled in the comics. Um and I think it's just so fascinating. Well, and how does it even start? We say it started with Mark Spector. How did Conchu choose somebody in the first place. Did he stumble upon him? Was he doing an archaeological dig and, and awoken Conchu? Like, how does that even right. happen? Yeah, there's a lot of interesting questions there. Let's go through a couple other important scenes after a quick word from these sponsors. The storage locker scene is awesome. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I loved the way Oscar Isaac portrayed Stephen's horror in finding uh -huh. this stuff, the gun, the money, and then that confrontation with Mark really for the first time at length. And I thought it was perfectly naturally funny when it needed to be when, when he says, uh, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I eat one piece of steak and boom, I go mad. <laughs> I, thought, right. I thought that was a good comment. Again, a joke that worked for me without trying too hard, just because Steven is kind of goofy and I love that. Right. My one, I'm told, I just thought the reveal of that, like walking in and seeing the cot and pulling out the guns was so great. But the line that I thought hit was <laughs> whenever uh, Mark is like, no, no, listen, it's more complicated than that. And Steven's like, more complicated? What am I possessed? Are you a demon? <laughs> yeah, but it, but again, it's funny, but it's natural. He's not trying to be right. funny when he says that. Right. He just is kind of naturally funny. That's what I like about the humor. By the way, another Slack Sleuth shout out. Did you notice that on the door, when he's opening the storage unit, I think number 43, if I remember right? Yep. By the way, I just thought four, eight. 15, 16, 20, 40, oh, 42. <laughs> shoot, shoot, shoot. It's 42. It's 42, not 43. Um, on the door is a QR code. Did you catch that? 
Yeah, which you can use to. Yeah. Okay, you know this. Yeah. Get a comic, correct? A, a free comic. Yeah, that's kind of an interesting way to market this. I love. I've never that, heard though. of that before. So yeah, if you pause it and scan that QR code, you can get a free Moon Knight comic. Wow. I I was trying to figure out what the significance of that number as well as 502, which is Steven's apartment number that I feel like the camera lingered on a bit too long um, mm. to make me think it was significant, but I can't figure out what that would be. So if anybody sure. out there is listening and knows, um, let us know, because I'm curious if there's a if there's something there. In the case of the 43... I don't think it's a lost number. I think it's just lingering because of the QR code. Gives you a second yeah, to that's fair. actually scan it. Um, but anyways, when the lighting starts going crazy, I thought the edit of Conchu charging down the hallway and the lighting flashing was uh-huh. legitimately terrifying and awesome. Awesome to me. Yeah. Like when it would go like, and he's like slowly shifting up like a horror movie. I thought it was really cool. I no, I agreed. And again, I just thought Kanshu, for being such a, a creature of CGI, like I'm normally not really huge into that. Um, and this is not like we said last time. I'm not necessarily the CGI critic. I just don't always love things that are pure CGI like that. But I feel like they visualized that really, really well. Uh, like I don't have any issues with that. I think so too. And a quick side note, I think my CGI eye catches things more when it's the background that I'm complaining about. Like when the Alps Mm. don't feel very real in the background, when the bridge and Hawkeye doesn't feel real. Whereas here, Kanchu is almost this spiritual being. I'm not trying to explain away bad CGI. Don't hear me say that, but it's almost more explainable. Like Steven's accent. If that bothers you, the headcanon is, Steven is not his normal personality, so he's putting on this accent in the show. Same right. thing with Kanchu. Like, we don't know how real Kanchu is in the first place. So I'm okay if he looks kind of ghostly with the CGI. Right. <laughs> if that makes sense. No, Like, no, if it was a yeah. super practical effect thing in that case, I would be fine with it, but I can see how they didn't do that. Right. And I'm just, I'm just happy that it isn't, like, I could see that being the kind of thing that, was so cartoony, you know, that it was distracting. And I just really like, I was paying attention and like, there's some, some little details and touches where they add some texture. And, and I think it's just really, it's really well rendered. So I, but also to your earlier point, we said this last week, um, man, the editing on this show is so excellent because there's that scene like you were referring to, Um, but there's also the scene where whenever Mark is in the back of the, the car, but that we think is a cop car that winds up not being a cop car, that transition where he's talking to, well, Steven talking to Mark and he says, I'm never going to let you take control ever again. Do you hear me? And then we hear Harrow come over the radio. Yes, Steven, Mm. I hear you loud and clear. Yes, Steven from the gift shop. I hear you loud and clear. And then the edit to him falling down out of the car and Harrow being there, it's like the, I'm not, I can't even do it justice in the way I'm describing it because it was such a great, such a great transition of like, you're so in the moment with Steven and Mark. And then the voice coming over the radio is so kind of eerie. And then the quick shock 
of him now being out in the car and the light and then Harrow there and the cane. It's just like really interesting, like really intentional choices that I'm loving on the editing. Front. <laughs> and they intentionally use the rear view mirror again, by the way, they're so good at that in Marvel world with the famous right. Michael Keaton scene as well. Um, Oscar Isaac plays a really terrified guy having a panic attack really, really well. Uh-huh. When he runs out of that room, the way he's scared in the car, trying to communicate with the girl outside with the soccer ball, et cetera. I think he plays that really well. And then before we get to that scene, which is the next really important scene, I did want to point out that when Layla comes into his apartment, a couple interesting details here. Like she is aware of his mother, but she says Mark wasn't talking to his mom. Yeah. And Steven still calls his mom, but we're not sure that his mom actually answers the phone yet. Yeah. Like, are we sure he's not just leaving voicemails? And it just feels like they've brought up his mom too many times for it to not be intentional. I'm not saying his mom's a superhero, but I do wonder if they'll resolve. uh, Yeah. I do wonder (laughs) if they'll resolve some storyline with his parents and how his parents view Mark and Steven and what's going on. Yeah. Because clearly she's playing a role in his life. He even mentions that this is his mom's flat, right? That's what he says. Yeah. No, so I love the, yeah, I love that. And I, I put a big question mark next to Stephen and Mark's mom, because I think that you're right. They're raising that for a reason. And intentionally, in fairness, I am not a Moon Knight comic scholar, uh, but I have not seen in the stuff that I've read a ton of reference to Stephen or Mark's mom. So again, um, you know, I'd invite feedback, but I kind of think that even if that has been explored, one of the things I'm loving about this show is that I don't I don't know that they're feeling beholden to any particular interpretation. It seems like everything which which is great. Which is great. And if you're new to this podcast, that is a reoccurring theme we've had for 143 episodes on this podcast. The people that are mad that the comics are not exactly the same as the MCU, and therefore that makes the MCU worse or the MCU better because it's not the same. That is not us. That's not Robbie and Kyle. We appreciate both mediums for being different mediums. And if you want a really awesome Moon Knight comic and you like the way it's portrayed there, then we encourage you to read the Moon Knight comics and you don't have to watch the show. But that doesn't mean that the show then isn't doing it well because it's not doing the comics exactly. End of rant. I I wanted to add, Robbie, that that scene that you were talking about where Harrow comes over the loudspeaker and he falls out of the car. Mm -hmm. What a beautiful twist that was. This entire scene's pretty much a twist because you're terrified of what's happening with the scales and the guys are creeping in the car and you get out and what do you get? A journey, a tour through this utopia cult where everyone's happy. There's no crime. They don't lock their door. They're growing tomatoes. There's a goat. Like it's, it's like, crazy almost creepy how perfect it is which is what makes it creepy but i think again i just keep coming back to that quote from the press conference from ethan hawk where he talks about because our protagonist has this mental disorder i need to play this villain that's really put together i mean what a better scene for that quote than right here right he's calmly talking to steven even calling out what khonshu is saying saying to him and saying like stay calm when he messes with the weather, that's all he can do. That's all he can do to yeah. us. It's, I, man. Which, which, and by the way, you always talk about a scene doing more than one, one thing. Right. Like, it's doing that, but it's also giving us a ton of background information. Like, Arthur was originally Khonshu's avatar. Yeah. And 
Conchu can't affect the real world other than a little weather. Right. We're finding all these things out while simultaneously getting a creepy tour of the cult fill. <laughs> well, and it was so like I thought about you while I was watching that because we talked about how compelling Arthur has been as like as a as a villain and, and I, I you know I'll say to the extent you know we've seen him be a villain, he's quickly and I don't mean this hyperbolically, quickly becoming one of my favorite MCU villains because I just think Ethan Hawke is a fantastic actor and I think that this is a really complex, fascinating character. And it's so but, Benjamin Linus, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so Benjamin. That's a great call out. But that scene was so genius because the people that pick Steven up in the car are so, like, abrasive and aggressive. And you're. it's so kind of um, ominous, like, when he's being... The car is parked and we don't know where he's going. They say, oh, like, we're not going to the police station. What would have made you think that? And then the contrast between that and... We've gotten so far, we know Mark now is, from Steven's perspective, a murderer. We know Khonshu is this kind of terrifying <laughs> bird god demon that is stalking him. And then now, here's Arthur Harrow, and he's this very kind, very gentle person that's facilitated this community that has given life to this whole area of London and it's brought all these people from across the globe together and they're trying to learn each other's languages and it's such this kind of beautiful picture of community and I, I love what that sets up. I think the confrontation they have over the lentil soup just after that is maybe yeah. my favorite scene thus far in Moon Knight. Yeah. Just that dialogue of the pros and cons of... Amit wanting to remove crime and murder before it happens. And the way that bothers Steven and the way Oscar Isaac plays that where he's like, you guys don't, do you all, do you all believe that? Like you believe this garbage? Like right. I kind of draw the line at killing kids before they do murder. something like, <laughs> like, but again, not right. again, funny, but not really funny. Like that's what I like about this. Like right. he's acting it very normally. Like that's how I would be handling this too. But then obviously with the creepiness, the juxtaposition of how kind Arthur is with how creepy, like what are they watching that cult? They're watching some weird right. dolphin and mushroom growing thing. <laughs> it, seriously, look in the background while they're wearing headphones that, yeah. and they all, they all get up and slowly walk at him like in sync, like they're almost brainwashed. It's very strange, and I love how good that is juxtaposed to them eating lentil soup uh -huh. and just having a normal conversation. That was my favorite scene thus far. And by the way, shout out Minority Report with the precogs, because that's, that's what this felt like, right? <laughs> like well, and the precogs who, who shoot down crime before it happens. Well, and shout out Winter Soldier, right? Because I think one, one of the things yeah, that I loved true. a lot, which Winter Soldier Project clearly... Insight clearly pulled from from Minority Report, and I, by the way, love Minority Report, but um, one of the things Such that I really appreciated here, right, is they deal with that same kind of question and that kind of debate that Fury and Steve have, you know, back in 2014 about, you know, like, if you stop it before it starts, like, that's how we kind of stay, quote, way ahead of the curve. But I like that here, like, whereas Fury had the kind of pragmatic approach of the, the guy that's been the spy on the ground that's seen too much and knows that, like, you can't afford to wait 
until the problem has presented itself. And that's one way of looking at the same, like, quote-unquote, solution. But I like here we get a much more kind of spiritual take on the same idea, uh, where there's, like, the idea of trusting in Ahmet and her judgment and her understanding of the inner, like, nature of each person that Harrow is judging. And this, this idea he puts forward of like the diseased limb and how the cure is a little bit of the disease. Like, I think I was just struck by, okay, like we are dealing with like kind of a, a at face value, a similar philosophical quandary to the one that the Russos set up in winter soldier, you know, almost 10 years ago now. But I love that it's being attacked from such a totally different perspective in such a way that I think it, it makes it totally fresh. Ethan Hawke is absolutely slaying this role. I love, love the subtle detail of how kind Arthur is and the way Ethan's playing it until Stephen says some blasphemy against Amit. Did you, did you right. see that like subtle turn in his face yeah. when he's like, don't talk about her that way kind of thing? And I love the subtle acting there. Where it's like, it's all cool until, again, when it's like a cult or a faith for him, you don't, you don't blaspheme that, right. you know? And that's when he crossed the line. And I just think he's playing it so well. Yeah. We then have to talk about the final sequence, obviously. Yes. With Steven not being able to suit up in front of Layla and it not working, then getting knocked out of the window out of fear. And then Mr. Knight is there to save him. And I know this is a letdown for some people, but I loved it. Again, I don't know the comics, but I loved the, the, Was it like the line. For some people, I think they don't think that the vibe from the promo of how like dope and, and like intense Mr. Knight looks didn't match this portrayal where he's goofy and you know, like sting like a bee, right. you know, that like Mr. Bean in the street kind of thing. But to me, this felt appropriate to Steven I'm trying to summon the suit without giving in to Mark basically. Right. And like, I like the line of what are you psycho Colonel Sanders? Right. <laughs> That's what right. Mark said to him. <laughs> and I, I kind of love that, that Mark is like, okay, that was a good punch. I'll give you that. Now like give it back to me. And then that he does like, I like that. It's like, they, it recognizes yeah, that. And I think, you know, Candace and but I we see just that went, he still has power. If he ever right. realizes it. Right. Like, I don't know if this is the end of Mr. Knight. That's the thing. So let's not jump to conclusions yet. Mr. Knight is just learning that he has power still. Right. And in fairness, that is a very different version of the character than we got in the comics. But, you know, to your earlier point, that's great. Like, here's what I love. Like, Candace and I talked about this. This uh, version fits Steven. That's my Yes. Thing. Well, it makes sense. Like, it makes sense of why that character design is there. I love that it's like... Summon the suit. By the way, none of that is really a part of the comics. Like, there's not this, like, summon your Moon Knight costume thing. It's just a suit that he puts on normally. Again, I really like the approach they've taken here. And I like that it sort of mirrors the host's version of what that would be. And that's how you wind up with this, like, he's, he keeps saying put on the suit. And that Steven's picturing a three-piece suit. I think is really funny and like a really great like play into this kind of like, yeah, like the Mr. Bean kind of goofy British 
thing that Oscar Isaac, I think, has, has done really well. And it leads to a pretty fun action sequence with the invisible jackal. Just because you get a, a different looking kind of fight. And it does feel kind of Fight Club-ish. And yeah. the people in the crowd think he's having a seizure or whatever. But I thought that looked pretty cool. And then, by the way, you said he gives it over to Mark. We just have to point out chills. Chills to a 10th degree. Okay, if you had CGI concerns about the following sequence, put them aside for one second. If you had them. I didn't. But if you did. The suit-up scene, dude, into Moon Knight from right. Mr. Knight. And, and the way Oscar Isaac plays that possessed, you know, eyes rolled back into the top of his head kind of thing. And, uh-huh. and he turns around and he's instantly Moon Knight. He grabs the things from his chest, the, the silver right. daggers or whatever. And then the sequence climbing the building and, and running across the rooftops in London, I thought was really dope. And how he ultimately spears the jackal right, right through the middle. That's, that's a little more the greenness I always talk about. Yeah. That to me was chills. That whole scene was chills. Well, and I will also say that scene, and I think the, I mean, the Mr. Knight scene specifically, um, Declan Shalvey, who created the Mr. Knight persona in 2014, the artist on, on that, that Moon Knight run posted a screenshot of that and said that he loved it so much. It looked like something that he would have drawn and he was just talking about how into this entire series he is, which again, I'm not saying that, that means you have to be into all this, but I will use that to push back some against the people that would say that this is not faithful to their comics and isn't doing those comics justice. Because when the guy that made that character and made those comics thinks that it's doing those comics justice, then I think that that's maybe <laughs> like a fair point to concede. <laughs> And I love that. Like, I love seeing that. Like, I love seeing creators like off. There have been times that we've talked about where comics creators have felt um, like the MCU was not really crediting them properly, which we have always said is a shame. And so I love that that he's been involved in this and that he's feeling some ownership over it because he is one of the best artists working in the in the comics medium today. Uh, So that made me happy to see. We referenced this earlier, but the final discussion between Mark and Steven was so good on so many levels for me. One, it's fun to now see Mark be in control. Like I said, to get some Mark time, I think will be cool. Two, I just thought it was such good acting between the two Oscar Isaacs, which again, when you know that it's his brother on the other side, I think it's cool to know how they pulled that off. And then three, just a really moving scene when Steven feels so trapped and they get into that argument to the point where Mark has this rage side to him that Steven doesn't, which right. leads to him literally yelling, shut up and, and stomping the mirror out, which right. we never saw Steven really do. Steven was always like, oh, go away. But he was kind of scared of it to see the rage that Mark has. I just thought that that sequence was so cool, too. And then the way Oscar Isaac plays a little bit of his fear from Conchu right after that. Right. When Conchu says, I thought he wasn't going to be a problem. And the Layla, you know, manipulation we talked about. Again, we talked about this, but I really loved that showdown too. No, absolutely. And the transition, well, two things. One, what I loved is that, like, the lentil scene was so great with Harrow. But, but right after that scene, whenever Mark realizes that he doesn't have the scarab and yes. the shot of Harrow... Interacting Killing with that another guy dude. Yeah. 
it's such a great like to the to the extent you've been like you know what like Harrow is pretty easily a seemingly good guy he's re- he's kind of creepy but he's reasonable and gentle and kind and embracing of others and then you and maybe see maybe Mark's him just, not reasonable Mark's killing people and right. you're thinking that yeah and then to have that kind of cold like. Even even the way he intros where I he's like, that look, line. I can offer you food, I can offer you shelter, but I can't offer you this. And so even then you're like, you know what? Like, fair. You know, like he, he recognizes the significance of this thing. He's still going to take care of this guy. And then as soon as he has a hold of his hand, like, oh, I'm so sorry that you can't see it. And just no, kills he says, the I guy. Wish, I wish you could live to see the world we make. Oh, yeah. that's right. That's right. I'm glad you had that. I love yeah. that line. I love that being like his signature line. It's it's really cool. Man. It, yeah, you're it, right. It, it's it's so, so good. <laughs> the the juxtaposition there. And then the the final scene with the Oh there were several elements. One, I love Shirtless Oscar I love Isaac, the, first of all. <laughs> Shirtless Oscar Isaac. <laughs> first and most important point. Second <laughs> Holding the whiskey bottle and and just the and the way that Mark carries Mark's himself, in a dark place, a little yeah, bit. and in such a contrast to Stephen, you know where it's like right. I said last week, like one of the things that I think makes Oscar's performance so impressive is the yeah. way that he doesn't have to be saying anything for you True. to know which character you're looking at. True, like like earlier in the episode when Stephen says, "That's not me." When he sees right. Mark walking out, but even the way, yeah, Mark gets up and pulls the curtain open with some badassery feels so not Steven. And right. yeah, you're right. He didn't say a word. And then by the way, I got to point out the music has been unbelievable. I don't know what his actual theme is, but that Egyptian style music, when they get there, that's uh-huh. the intro music I played on this episode before we introed Moon Knight. Uh-huh. It is so cool. This guy is killing it. And I'm going to need to look more into him. I don't have access to it on Spotify yet. So all I can do is listen in in the episode. But in the episode, what I'm hearing is awesome. And then my final comment is, yes, dude. Yes, 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 yes. I'm so excited to be in Egypt. Like, to me, that is just so fresh. Again, it's not fresh for all of film. But it is fresh for the MCU. You know, we've had a lot of New York, we've had a lot of California, and we've sprinkled in a few locations here and there. And so it's been really cool to spend two episodes in London. I thought uh-huh. the, the chase with the jackal across the buildings was cool to see London in the background. Thought that was really right. fun for me. Again, Skyline guy. Oh, tie it all together, <laughs> Skyline guy. Um, but now <laughs> to be in Egypt with the pyramids and stuff, and I know they shot a lot of this actually in the desert of Jordan, a lot right. of the same places where Indiana Jones actually was shot. So it's just fun to be on location and to just be totally removed from the New York of it all for a while. Right. I mean, I think it's. I think we should say that as fresh as it is for them to be in Egypt, I think that the film that really paved the way for kind of getting out of New York and even getting into London was, of course, Thor: The Dark World. Oh, um, here he is. <laughs> we have been slacking on our Thor: Dark World. <laughs> oh, sorry, love that. It's. I think it's just fair to say that's where the DNA of all the best parts of the MCU. Uh, reside but that's all they're doing you know, it's one long long 20 year game to justify thor the dark world <laughs> just a long homage yeah, um i had i i was gonna say the same thing that the the unveiling of of egypt and the pyramids was so dope and it makes me so excited 
for the next two episodes and for folks to see the next two episodes. Um, the final two things very quickly that I wanted to point out Easter egg. Well, one's an Easter egg. I meant to say this last week. Crawley is showing up in the show and, and you probably don't know the significance of that. Nope. I did not know the significance of that prior to going back and reading some of these old, old Moon Knight comics, but way back in the 1980s series and issue number two of that series, Crawley is this homeless man that's like vagrant that Mark slash Steven slash Jake meets uh, as kind of an informant. So I guess mostly Jake. And he's the guy that kind of for a while, he's like a recurring character in that series. And I say that because if you look in the credits, the, the gold guy that sits on the bench is credited as Crawley, which I thought was just kind of a, a fun, like nice touch. Oh, that's touch. cool. Um, the other thing I was going to say that I, I really wanted to bring up to you was one, the, the Layla, like, I just love this character in general. I think she's oh, really compelling from the get go. She's been awesome. I'm really into Layla. And, <laughs> and, and I loved, like we talked about, uh, or I previewed this earlier, but in the press conference, like it was so cool because she was sitting there and I want to say everybody else there was a man. And Ethan Hawke kind of recognized that and was like, yeah, this is sort of like what she was walking into on the set. And she projected this energy and, and, and like took charge of this character in such a way that was so inspiring. But then she also talks about how like kind of her own relationship with Oscar and, and like we talked about last time, like some kind of mentorship there um, just from a veteran actor to more of an up and coming actor I, I, it, she is, it was so fun to hear her talk about how into this role she was and to hear the other folks talk about how impressed they were with her that I, I really hope that that's a character that sticks around in the MCU. But what I also wanted to talk about and, and get your thoughts on briefly before we wrap was, yeah, like her, her actual appearance here as Layla, because one of the things that struck me is like, Longtime listeners of the show will know that we've pointed out a few times one of the kind of funnier moments to me in the MCU is in Doctor Strange whenever um, he goes to the hospital because he's just been stabbed and he finds Christine to operate on him and ultimately save his life. And I'm not, this is not me like firing shots at Scott Derrickson. I think that like for what they had to do and the amount of time they had to do it, I totally understand. But it's always cracked me up how he kind of briefly explains that he's just like learned magic and then appears as like a, a spiritual, like astral form. <laughs> and she just kind of, like, kind of quickly accepts that and moves forward. <laughs> and I loved here how long Layla pushes back, like how often Steven's like, no, no, I'm a different guy. And she's like, I, I just don't buy this. Like. What you're saying is ridiculous. I think that you're like mocking me because you're using this accent. Like it's almost basically until he suits up and she sees him in a different suit at the end. Mm -hmm. You can tell she's a little bit like Yikes. just not buying it. Right. And I really appreciated that. Yeah. Wow. I didn't think of that. I do. You know, 
Go back and listen to our Doctor Strange episode. I defend that scene a little bit because I do think that Christine pushes back a couple of times where she says, like, this is so weird. I don't know what's going on. And she does scream about the broom in the in the closet. But, yes, in general, right. I understand what you're saying. I just got to de- defend my girl Christine, okay? We're about to see a little no, more Christine look, in our I, lives. Look, <laughs> you will not find a bigger Rachel McAdams fan I, than me. I know. Me. So I'm careful. So watch your mouth. <laughs> so watch your mouth when you bring that up. Just just careful. Um, but, no, that's a, it's a great point because in that – in that flat scene, she pushes back a lot. She does. She says it like maybe three or four times, and it feels so natural. I I didn't mean to gloss over Layla at all in this episode because she's not a forgettable part of it. She's been awesome, and I'm just holding my tongue a little bit on Layla because while the introduction here is awesome, you're going to get some more Layla that's pretty dope coming up. Um, Absolutely. So little teaser there. No, I, 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 like I said, I thought this was really great. I think I'm just going to say it now. My passion is not faked. I'm not lying. When I get this excited and I feel this good about an episode, that usually tells me something. My gut is telling me I think I like this episode even more than the first one. So this is really close to let's freaking go for me. Like I said, I can't hand those out, so I'm not going to give it that. I'm going to say <laughs> let's go plus plus. But if if the first episode was a B plus, this is an A minus for me then. And... Yeah, I really, really loved it. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> it's funny. I agree. And this is not always the case. We're not always going to come down on the same side of these things. All, and, we, needed, all um, we need to do is talk about Captain America 1 or Black Panther, true. and we can find some ways to disagree, no doubt. That's true. Uh, or Green Knight. Uh, <laughs> or Green, but, well, that, yeah, <laughs> don't get me started. <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm on the same. I think I'm tempted to give this one a, a let's freaking go minus as well. Um, (laughs) because man, I, I was in the same boat and I really wasn't watching any of the discourse online. Um, and I really haven't yet. So I'm not too busy, (laughs) which is good. Stay off, stay off, stay off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I'm not sure how people are receiving it, but I, man, I loved it. I thought that it was just like, because we got more Mark, we got more of that relationship. I love the introduction of Layla. We got more of the suit of both suits. We got more Arthur Harrow and Steven interaction. Like it was everything that I really enjoyed about the first episode. I thought was dialed up a a bit more here. And I didn't think like sometimes with these things, it's like once the, the veil is pulled back, it's a little bit disappointing. Like it's like, as you get further in and the mystery dissipates, um, you're, you're less into it. And you know, in fairness, that could still happen in like episode five or something. Oh, it's going to be the but hardest thing to point, land the plane with suspenseful things. Yes. Oh, yeah. And, and this one especially. But as of this episode, as much as I enjoyed episode one, I think I'm with you. I, I This felt like a, a step up for me. Man, if you enjoy that like we did, we'd love to hear from you. And if you didn't enjoy it, we'd love to hear from you. Stay in touch with us on social media at the FFW podcast. And like I said, if you're just finding our podcast please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, et cetera. And check out our website, the FFWpodcast.com. Check out EpicHeroShop.com. You can use our promo code FRIENDSFROMWORK to save on their merch. And you can check out our merch on the FFWpodcast.com, which you might like some of that stuff too. So lots of places for you guys to get involved. And I'll just close with this. If you really enjoy what we're doing here at Friends From Work, we ask you to check out Friends From Work Plus. It's our Patreon page. It's $5 a month for bonus content like Robbie was talking about, the Comics Corner, and other fun things on that side of things. So 
Thank you guys so much for listening. We love you all so much. And as this gets ramped up, we cannot wait to get into more Doctor Strange and more of Moon Knight Episode 3 next time on Friends from Work. Friends from Work.